Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is a senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here is Pastor Michael Huffman. Lord's good, isn't he? Amen. Amen. And so if I grab your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter number six. Matthew chapter number six. No, no teacher. Matthew chapter number six. And after you've found that, out of respect for God's word, if you'd please stand as we read the text of Scripture. Matthew chapter number six. Beginning of verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is the living word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Father, that you would teach us your word this morning. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. There is an area of our prayers that is of vital importance. And that is the proportions of our our petitions. Not only must our desires and petitions with regard to God come first, but I want you to notice that half of the petitions in this model prayer are devoted to God and His glory, and only the remainder of those has anything to do with our problems or our needs. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, Of course, if we are interested in biblical numerics, an interesting, which is perhaps not not, not to be entirely discouraged, though it can become dangerous if and when we tend to become too fanciful in them, We shall see in addition that the first three petitions have reference to God and that three is always the number of deity, suggesting the three blessed persons in the Trinity. In the same way, four, he goes on to say, is always the number of earth and refers to everything that is human. So what we see in this divine prayer is that we deal with God first and we deal with our, our needs last. And these petitions, these priorities, these principles apply even the petitions that reach the highest regard. Listen, folks, even our concern for souls, even our concern for God's blessing upon the preaching of his word, Even our concerns that those who are near and dear to us, that they may truly become Christians. These things must never be in first place. These things must never be in the first position. 
The first position of our prayers need to always be with God. Folks, listen, it doesn't matter how desperate they may be. It does not matter how acute the the tension may be. It does not matter with the physical illness or anything else. It must never come before the glory of the Lord. Folks, listen, it would change our prayer lives indeed. If when we began to pray, we were more concerned about the glory of God, we were more concerned about the praise of God and less concerned about ourselves. If we, if only we, as God's people, were to recollect that we are in the presence of God. Just think with me, folks. When you pray, you are in the presence of God. And and God Almighty, the eternal creator, is there. Looking upon us as our Father. And more ready to bless and to surround us with his love than we are ready to receive it. And if for a moment we could just spend some time recollecting that. We would achieve much more in our prayers by recollecting that than we would achieve by not recollecting that. If only we had as his people more of a concern about God and his honor and his glory. Fortunately for us, God knows our weaknesses, doesn't he? God knows that we have feet of clay. He realizes our need of instruction. And so what God has so sovereignly and graciously done for us is he has taken how we should pray and he has divided it. And I love where we looked at the very first week. We looked at God's paternity. And we saw in verse 9 where God, where the Bible, Jesus says to address God as what? Our Father. And I want you to keep in mind of what the blessed privilege it is for us as his people to be able to address the creator of the universe as our dad. Because, of course, as I said, Jesus would have speaking, would have been speaking Aramaic, so he would have said Abba, which means daddy. And we have the wonderful privilege of referring to God as our father. And then we began to look at God's priority. The goal of every believer should be in what they say and what they do is to reverence and adore and honor the name of God. And we should never, as God's people, use the name of God in a flippant and perverse way. Listen to me very clearly, folks. I'm not talking about using God's name as a curse word. That should be obvious. To anybody dwelt by the Spirit of God, that should be obvious. But I'm talking about when we take the precious name of our God and we use it in a flippant, irreverent way. That should never be the practice of a believer. Because we are to hallow God's name. We are to agonizomai. We are to agizio. We are to make God's name holy. We are to make his name revered. And then number three, we looked at last week, God's program. Thy kingdom come. And every time when we pray, we need to be praying for the God's kingdom to come. Not only his future kingdom on the earth, but we need to be praying for God's kingdom to come in our lives now through two things. Through conversion. Every time a soul is saved, remember the kingdom of God comes down. Not only through conversion, but also through commitment. Father, may the kingdom, may your reign, may your rule, may your glory be seen in my life. 
That's how you should pray. God, may your glory, which is what speaks of your kingdom, where you will rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. May your rule be seen in my life. And then we come to number four in this list of prayers. God's purpose. Look at verse 10. Very simple. Jesus says, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, this is really, folks, the logical sequence from the second petition. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Because when the kingdom comes, God's will will be done. It will then again be a theocracy. And God's will will be, complete, will be completed. Because the result of the kingdom coming is that the will of God will be done among man. Because you see, folks, in heaven, God's will is always perfectly done. In heaven, everyone and everything is waiting on God and anxious to glorify and magnify his name. In fact, the Bible says that even the angels are ready to fly at his bidding, doesn't it? In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10, it says, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Folks, listen, the supreme desire of all of heaven is to do the will of God, thereby praising and worshiping God. And it should, for every believer in here in this auditorium tonight, today, it should therefore be the desire of every Christian to say to Jesus, to say to the Father, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Folks, listen, prayer is not only to pray that the kingdom of God would come, but prayer is also a prayer that the will of God be done. You know, it was the will of God that really encompassed the thinking of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 43, verse 42, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, My Father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, what did he say? Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And in John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus saith unto him, My meat or my desire is to do what? The will of him that sent me. The will of God, folks, should be something that consumes every believer. I want in my life what God wants. That should be the consuming passion of every child of God. Because listen, that is a mark of genuine Christianity. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says these sobering words. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that what? Does the will of my Father in heaven. Listen, if a person, if a person calls himself a believer and they do not have a consuming passion to have the will of God accomplished in their life, there is no really reason for them to believe they're a believer. The consuming passion, the consuming desire, God, I want your will done in my life. In Psalm 103, verse 21, bless the Lord, all ye, all ye his host, you who serve him, doing his will. Now, praying in the will of God to be, praying that the will of God be done, brings up an instant dilemma. Because isn't it the fact that God is sovereign? Doesn't that mean that God's will is always done? Some may be thinking, and I've actually had people say this to me, well, preacher, it's, it's useless to pray. Or when I pray, it's useless to say your will be done because God's will is always going to be done. 
Since God determines the beginning from the end and everything in between, isn't he in charge of it all? And since everything works out according to his plan, what in the world is the reason for us to pray? Why did Jesus instruct us to pray, your will be done since it is? I mean, God doesn't change his mind, does he? May I ask you a question? Do our prayers alter God's plan? Or does God operate under certain contingencies that he chooses which one he's gonna which ones he's gonna allow happen based on how we respond? That's heresy. That's heresy. Folks, listen, the word of God is clear. I want to break this down for you that the word of God is clear that God is sovereign and accomplishes all his pleasures. You say, Pastor, what do you keep using that word sovereign? What does that word sovereign mean? Well, basically, the word sovereign means God's in charge. If I was going to give you a brief, succinct definition, God's in charge. And the Bible is clear that God is sovereign and all of his will will be accomplished. You say, well, where, Pastor? Let me get, can I give you a few of them? I'll have to give you just a few of them. In Psalm 135, 6, the psalmist said this, whatsoever, now what does that include, church? Everything, right? Whatsoever the Lord pleased that he did in heaven and in earth, in seas and in all deep places. So the psalmist says he encompasses everything, the earth and the sea, above the earth, everything. God does exactly what he wants to do. God does exactly what he pleases. In Psalm 33, 9, it says this, For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Any question about that? In Job chapter 42 and verse 2, I know that you can do all things. My wife quotes this to me all the time. I know you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. In Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall what? Stand and I will do what free will lets me do. I will do all my pleasure. In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his what? Will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay or stop his hand or say unto him, why are you doing this? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his what? Will. In Psalm 115, verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done what? Whatsoever he hath pleased. That's just a few. And since all that is true, folks, why do we pray your will be done? We must understand that there's something, there's something called the doctrine of secondary means. That is, God sovereignly decrees what will be, but he also determines the means whereby he will bring about what he decrees. When we pray God's will be done, we are praying that way because we understand that that's the means whereby God has chosen to bring about what he has determined. There are two reasons why we pray thy will be done. Can you think of the first one? 
God says so. That's the main one. God says so. That's how Jesus said pray. Number two, what a blessed privilege I had to make to have a part in bringing about the will of God. Because as I pray, God has chosen my prayers as a secondary means to bring about his decree. What a wonderful privilege we have as his children to pray to usher in his sovereign will. That's the sovereignty, the determination of God's part. But on our part, we pray. We should be praying, desiring the will of God to be done just as Jesus instructs us. We need to think about that statement because it's very important. Father, your will be done. Whatever you wish to happen, MacArthur says, your will, whatever you wish to happen, let it happen immediately on earth as in heaven. And for other words, Father, whatever you want, do it. Whatever you want, do it. Father, what you desire, what you want in your heart to be done, do it. Now, sometimes that's tough to pray that way, isn't it? When you've got a loved one laying in the hospital bed, sick and dying, it's tough to pray, Lord, whatever you want, do it. That's tough. And nobody said it wasn't. Jesus says, pray, Father, your will be done. And the psalmist said in Psalm 40, verse 8, he says, I delight to do your will. I delight to do your will, O my God. Yea, that law is within my heart. That will be the desire of every believer's heart, the, and the, which is the way that Christ has instructed us to pray. Not only to know the will of God, but to do the will of God. Now, some people may, may have the attitude that says, to say, follow whatever you want is really to, uh, it's really a tone of defeated resignation. I just throw my hands in the air. Whatever. You ever felt that way? Come on now. You ever felt that when you pray? Whatever. I know you're probably too holy and pious to say to Jehovah, whatever. But in our heart's attitude, don't we sometimes get so, we're so heartbroken and so in despair and so at the end of our, our, our way that we say, God, whatever. I, that's really where God wants us to be, isn't it? Whatever you want. But it's not defeated resigna resignation that does that. I mean, some people say that, well, we pray that way because we can't possibly have it any other way. I mean, God's in charge. What are we going to do? I mean, you want me to beat my head against the wall of the universe? I mean, so we accept the will of God sometimes because we realize that there's, we can't do anything else. Other people say you will be done in a bitter tone of resentment. It was said of Beethoven that when he died and they found his body, that his lips were drawn back in a snarl. And his fists were clenched as he were, as it were, he was shaking his fists in the very face of God when he died. Some people accept the will of God. You may accept the will of God. But you accept the will of God with bitter resentment and smoldering anger. 
Instead of submissively submitting to the sovereign will of the creator, you accept it because you feel like you can't change anything. You, you, he's in charge. You've got to accept it. But you accept it with bitter resentment and smoldering anger. But then there are those. There are those people that say your will be done in perfect love and trust. That's where we want to be, isn't it? When we say your will be done, we want to say your will be done in perfect love and trust. Because, folks, listen, when we can stay, when we can sit and pray and we can truly say your will be done in perfect love and trust is because we are sure about the wisdom of God. And when we are sure about the wisdom of God, we can confidently say your will be done. You know what's best. You're the one that's in charge. You're the expert in life. Your guidance will never lead me astray. It was the father of Richard Cameron, the Scottish covenanter, who said at the news of the murder of his son, his son was murdered and was chopped into many pieces, and the person that, that murdered him mailed parts of his body back to his father. When he came to claim the pieces and parts of his son's body, he said this, Good is the will of the Lord. Good is the will of the Lord. He cannot wrong me or mine, but hath made goodness and mercy to follow us all our days. Now that's the testimony of a person who accepts the will of God with perfect love and trust. When you can look at the pieces, parts of your dead son and say, good is the will of the Lord. When a man can speak like that, then we've truly prayed, your will be done. But folks, listen, you and I need to realize this morning that we can be absolutely sure of the love of God. God is not mocking. God is not capricious. God is not impulsive. The scriptures teach us very clearly that God is a God that we can trust and believe in because God is a God of love for his people. And with that knowledge, we can say your will be done. Now, if we're really going to appreciate this morning what the scripture says, and we can really have a, a love and trust of the will of God, we have to understand what the scriptures say about the will of God. The scriptures basically lay out for us, folks, three different type of wills of God that I want to show you real quick this morning in the time we've got left. First of all, there's what we call the will of purpose. The will of purpose. And by that, we're talking about the consummation of everything. This is the will that embodies all of earth, all of heaven, all of hell, and all that is in it. His uh, will is being done. This is really a massive concept of the will of purpose that encompasses really, folks, the allowing of sin and allowing it to run its course. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 29, Jeremiah the prophet says this, notice what's underlined, for every purpose of the Lord shall be what? Performed. Every purpose of the Lord shall be performed. There is no question that this will of God is being done. There is no question, folks, and get this, wrap this, wrap your mind around this. There's absolutely no question that the plan of the ages is on track. Folks, those of you who have been with me a while, I'm going to give you a quiz, all right? 
It's a one-answer quiz. Y'all, y'all, I, I have confidence in you. You'll, I have 100% confidence that you'll get it right. What is the one word that never comes from the throne of Almighty God? Oops. The plan of the ages is on track. There is no question that God is working out his ultimate purpose. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 24, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. When God thinks a thought, something is going to happen. When God purposes it, it will come to pass. Let me give you an illustration of God's will of purpose. When God said, let there be light, that was the will of purpose. Because when God said, let there be light, there was absolutely no way that darkness was, on, was going to overcome the light. That's God's will of purpose. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 26, this is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. This is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. God has this massive purpose that is going to come to pass. And I love this verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Don't you like it? Don't you love it? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to what? His purpose. Listen, folks, the only way that you can truly claim the promise of this verse is to believe that God is absolutely sovereign, that God is absolutely in charge, because if you serve a God that's not in absolute charge, then how in the world can you have confidence that that God that's not in charge can turn everything for your good? You can only claim the promise of that if you believe my God's in charge. My God has a will of purpose, and he works out those things for his children to their good. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he had purposed in himself. Now here he's talking about, in Ephesians 1, he's talking about a salvation that has encompassed uh, God's great purpose in redemption. And then he says in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in all, in one, all the things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, <coughs> being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. God's great purpose for his redeemed people, that is his purpose. <coughs> that is his eternal plan. That's God's will of purpose. Now, let me ask you a question. How are we to pray in God's will of purpose? How in, the world, how in the world, if God has a sovereign decree, God has a sovereign will, <coughs> how do we pray that God's will of purpose come to pass? Well, there's one way to do it. We pray joyfully that God's will will be accomplished. God, whatever you want. Does that sound odd? Does that sound odd to you? Just to pray whatever you want. If it sounds odd to you to pray that way, then I would encourage this probably because you want your will more than you want God's will. 
Yeah, God's in charge. But this is really the things I want. And I really don't want God to mess up my plans. And if, I'm, and if I pray, God, whatever you want, he might mess up my plans. So I just skip that part. But we need to pray joyfully that God's will will be accomplished. Folks, listen, I can think of no better or more reliable way to pray than to pray that God's will of purpose be done. Father, you're in charge. You alone are sovereign. Man is not sovereign. I'm not sovereign. You are. Therefore, what you will do, whatever your pleasure is, do. And we have the blessed privilege to pray in such a way as to align our prayers next to his work and, and then to sit back and joyfully anticipate whatever God sovereignly wills to take place. Isn't that good? Boy, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that God gives me the privilege of, of working, uh, of having a part in his will. Of praying, your sovereign will be done. And then sit back and watch God work. But there's a second will. Not only the will of purpose, but it's God's will of desire. God's will of desire. Rather than an all-encompassing plan, we're, we're, kind, of, we're kind of narrowing down God's, God's heart here. God's heart of desire. R.C. Sproul says this. There are things that God wills, but do not, ne- but do not happen necessarily. But he, keep in mind, even those things are under his sovereign control. This is what Sproul calls the perceptive will of God. That is, God sets up certain commands and those commands must be obeyed. Right? For example, God says you should do no murder. Do men murder? Yeah. That's God's will of desire. It's God's will that men don't murder. It's God's perceptive will that men don't murder, but men do murder. Now, I want you to hang on to this real quick, folks, because this will get into some deep theology here. Are you ready? Come on. Because what naturally comes in mind here is the classical tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And don't cut me off. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. There are those that think this. Well, if God is absolutely in charge, then man cannot be responsible. And then there are others that think, well, if man is responsible, then God can't be in total charge. Both of these views, folks, lead to unbiblical extremes. One would be called hyper-Calvinism. The other would be called hyper-Arminianism. The fact is that the Bible teaches this great paradox. The Bible teaches that God is both absolutely sovereign and that man is absolutely free. You said, I don't understand that. Good, you got it. But these truths, these twin truths, are seen all over the pages of Scripture. For example, we see man's responsibility in Scripture in Luke chapter 13 and verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killed the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, but ye, what? Would not. In John chapter 5 and verse 40, and ye, what? will not come to me that ye may have life. 
In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, and saying, repent ye. It's a command. Repentance is a command that, that, me, that has to have a decision. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20, then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, then Peter said unto them, what? Repent. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, repent ye therefore. All of these things are demanding a, a response. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 22, repent therefore of thy wickedness. You get the idea, right? Man's responsibility is that they repent. That's the responsibility. That is the command. Now notice what the prophet Ezekiel says. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no, what? I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. R.C. Sproul comments this, this way. Not that the prophet's message of Jerusalem's destruction has been vindicated. The people face the temptation to despair. They need to be reminded of the good news that the Lord does not take pleasure in destroying the wicked and is always ready to redeem those who repent and turn to him. John MacArthur says, God takes no willful pleasure in the death of the wicked. That is the will of the desire that we've been talking about. God does not take pleasure in the death of those that sin. And man, and that's the desire and man's responsibility is to repent. But folks, listen, we have to be balanced, don't we? We have to be balanced. Unbalanced theology is unbiblical theology because God is a God of balance. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. But let it, be let it not be mistaken, church. Just because God does not take pleasure in the punishment of the wicked does not mean that he will not do it. And I'm trying to stay on track here because there's all kind of rabbit trails and all type of topics we could, we, could, we could go to, and I don't intend to go. God has a will of desire, and man is responsible, but God is also sovereign. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were what? Ordained to eternal life believed. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18, And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth, whereunto he called you, by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, Moreover whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And in Romans chapter 11 verse 7, What then hath Israel not obtained that which he seeketh for? But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. 
And in John chapter 6 and verse 44, no man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 10, and not, the, not only this, but Rebecca also hath conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done anything good or evil, but, but that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say that is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God is sovereign. And man is responsible. How do we pray God's will and desire? When we pray for the salvation of the lost, for example. We know man has a responsibility and God has a desire. We, what we do not know is what God has determined. But when we pray for the salvation of someone, we know that we are praying in line with God's will and desire, right? Because God says, I don't have pleasure in the death of the wicked. So when you pray for someone's salvation, you're praying in the line with God's will of pleasure. You say, I don't understand how God can be sovereign and man can be responsible. Oh, that's a simple answer. I can, I, 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 I can help you solve that problem. But I'm going to incorporate the help of Dr. John MacArthur to do that. And this is the answer. I have no idea. Isn't that simple? I have no idea how to solve that apparent paradox. And I leave that with God happily, knowing that he's figured it out. But let the truth be known, folks, that God is absolutely sovereign and that man is absolutely responsible. And when you and I pray, God, your will be done, you are praying, God, whatever you want. You're in charge. God, whatever you want. And you're also praying, God... I have lost loved ones. I have lost friends. They have never bowed the knee before the Lord. They've never repented. And I know, Father, based on your word, that you have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I pray for their repentance. And what a wonderful thing that is when God gives us the wonderful opportunity to have a part through our prayers. To bring about the salvation of lost souls. Folks listen. When you pray. Your God will your will be done. Yeah we understand that God's in charge. And his will will ultimately be done. But we don't know God's ordaining decrees do we? We have no idea. What God has determined. Nathan and Jane were telling me about Hank. That's laying in the hospital bed. Not doing well. And we need to pray for him. We need to pray for the family. But at the end of the day, we have no idea what God's going to do. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God used our prayers? God, your will be done. When we pray that in true love and reverence to God, God, your will be done. And God uses our prayers to bring about the healing of a person. When God uses our prayers to bring about the salvation of a lost soul. Listen, he's already, he already, he's already decreed what will be because he's God. 
but he's chosen to use our prayers by saying, your will be done. How are you at praying God's will? How are you at praying, God, you're in charge? Whatever you want. I delight to do your will, oh God, as the psalmist said. I want in my life what you want. Folks, you're responsible. I'm responsible to obey the commandments of God. God, you're in charge. I want what you want. And I pray that your will be done in these situations. Trusting God that he's good, he's just, he's righteous, he's holy, he loves you, he's immutable, he's eternal. He is the everlasting father who loves you and has your best at mind. Folks, when you sit down and pray, your will be done, you can trust the one in whom you're praying. He's not going to lead you astray. He has a sovereign will and you have a, and you have a responsibility. And he'll never lead you off track. So be free and loving when you pray. Father, your will be done. I want to have a hand in your will be done. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, Lord, we've tackled a, a massive subject in a brief period of time. But Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. We recognize, Father God, that you are absolutely sovereign. We recognize, Father, that we are absolutely responsible. And Father, we need to have the heart that says, Father, whatever you want, you're in charge. And Father, that's tough. Our flesh gets in the way of that. The desires of our heart get, get in the way of that. It's tough to trust. But Father, the only way that we learn to trust is by trusting. And many times the only way we learn to trust is to, you put us in a position where all we've left to be able to do is trust. Because we cannot do it. So, Father, as we pray, Father, your will be done. We recognize that it's sovereignty. It's purposeful. But we also recognize a heart desire of the Father. Father, every one of us in here tonight, today has family that's, they've not, never been born from above. They're still dead in their trespasses and sins. And we know, Father, that if they will but call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. We know, Father, that no one comes to Christ that doesn't find him to be a perfect savior. Jesus said, the one that comes to me, I will never cast him out. 
And we know, Father, that's your desire. So, Father, as we pray, your will be done. We're not only praying your sovereign purposes, but we're also praying your heart's desire. You will not cast out the ones that come. Yes, you're not the God that stands at the novelist's door begging us to open the door of our hearts. That's not God of the scripture. But you will always accept the ones that come. Because the ones that come, you have taken out their heart of stone and given them a heart of flesh. You have regenerated them by the power of the Spirit. Father, help us to pray submissively, lovingly, trusting that you're able to accomplish and will accomplish all your purposes. What a wonderful, wonderful way to pray. Knowing that God will use our prayers to accomplish his purposes. You know, it's almost like praying with guaranteed success. Because you're praying for God's will to be done. I would encourage these folks this morning maybe to change the way we pray. To focus on God more. To focus on your purposes more. Your will. Who you are. We thank you, Father, for the truths of your word. We praise you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.